Hello, Frighters. I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Hello, Frighters, and welcome to another episode of Fight or Fright. I'm your girl, Holland Elise, and when this hits your ear holes, I will be back in Pennsylvania for the holidays. And guys, I'm so fucking stoked. I haven't seen my family in a year, and I'm going to be home for my birthday, December 22nd, and Christmas, obviously, December 25th. And hopefully COVID can get handled so that I don't have to wait a year to see my family again with the vaccines. Fingers crossed. But anyway, happy holidays, everyone. And again, I'm keeping to that holiday theme. And I have another horrific Yuletide homicide for you peeps. Trigger warning, this isn't great. (laughs) Obviously, this is a true crime slash mystery podcast. It's not good. But I love you guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I know I sound like a broken record, but please, if you could rate and review on Apple Podcasts or just even tell a friend, it really helps. And also good news, this week, I will be bringing you two episodes again. So this is one of two. I will be in your airwaves again this week. Happy birthday to me. Happy holidays to you. And I hope you guys are excited as I am. Anyway, let's get started. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Lawson family murders. And this all starts back in the day in the way back time machine. So Charles Charlie Davis Lawson, he was born on May 10th, 1886 to Augustus and Nancy Lawson. He grew up with his parents in an unincorporated part of North Carolina called Lawsonville. A part of this kind of reminds me of like where my dad grew up because it is also like the street is based off of our last name. So anyway, he also had two brothers And I believe they were both younger from what I found in research, but this is an old case, so there's some conflicting things. And I mean, he grew up rural. His family was by no means rich. He did farming later in life to be tobacco farming, but I didn't see much else about his childhood. He kind of was just raised by an Augustus and Nancy, had two brothers and lived like most rural farming families at that time. But what we do know is that he got married to Fanny Manring in 1911, and they ended up having nine kids total, which holy fucking hell, that is so many kids. And I cannot imagine having to give birth nine times. Just like one time seems scary enough. Fanny is a saint and tough as Fuck, especially since back then women had kids so young. So you go, girl, you are you are tough as nails, girl. Anyway, their life was by no means a fairy tale. Out of these nine kids, their third born son, William, died at around the age of six in 1920 from what I saw. It was a illness and I believe a lot of sources say that they have eight kids because from what I researched, they did have 
eight kids at the time of the craziness. They had the seven that died and then one more that didn't die. So I think at the time of the whole awful, horrific incident that happened, they had eight, which is why most sources say that, but they actually had nine because William. And so for a while, Charlie and Fanny lived in that unincorporated town of Lawsonville. This is until 1928. In 1928, Charlie's brothers, Marion and Elijah, moved to Germantown area in North Carolina, and he packed up his family and moved suit. He followed his brothers. They were a family of sharecroppers, and eventually Charlie Lawson made enough money to buy his family their own house on Brook Cove Road in Germantown, North Carolina. In my research, what I could find wasn't consistent of when they bought the house, but they had a house on Brook Cove Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Right before Christmas in 1929, Charlie went into town with his family and bought all of them new clothes, which, I mean, you're buying eight kids, your wife, and you new clothes. I mean, that's going to be expensive anytime and in and anywhere. <laughs> but he also commissioned a portrait of them. And this raised eyebrows because, yes, they had a house, but they were sharecroppers. And they were by no means Scrooge McDuck. They were not jumping into a bathtub of money. They were, they were not bringing in the cash. He was m- making just enough to get by and feed his family. And none of these actions are cheap. So it did seem odd. So now let's get to the horrific, awful, terrible, shitty events of Christmas 1929. That morning, Charlie, a.k.a. fucking jackass, went to the barn where he waited for two of his daughters. This motherfucker knew his daughters, Carrie, who was 12, and Maybelle, who was seven, were on their way to their aunt and uncle's house. So he hid behind the barn and waited for the girls to walk by. And once they did walk by, they had become his first victims. He is a shit face and he shot his two daughters And then, to make sure they were dead, he bludgeoned them and placed them in the barn. Like I said, he is a monster. Next, he made his way towards the house. Fanny, who was 37 at the time, was outside on the porch, and he shot and killed her. He then went into the house where he shot Marie, who was 17. Before he shot her, she screamed, as she saw him pointing the gun at her. Finally, there were the two last children. They were James, who was four, and Raymond, who was two. They attempted to hide, but I mean, this house was only so big and there's only so many hiding places. So Charlie eventually found them. Those weren't his last victims, but this fuckwad's last victim was actually the nine-month-old baby, Mary Lou. But James and Raymond were the last victims that he shot. Mary Lou was four months old, and this guy sucks so much butt. Fucking douche. It is believed he didn't shoot Mary Lou, but he bludgeoned her. Again, dickwad. After these horrific acts, like horrific, he then made his way to the woods by their house. And after he went into the woods, his son Arthur came home. 
Arthur was 16 and he came home to find his family dead and his father missing. They were in a line with their arms crossed over their chests and rocks were under their heads, kind of like a pillow would be. It later came out that neighbors had heard the shots, but they didn't think much of it because Arthur and Charlie hunted, especially rabbit hunting, and they just believed that this explained why they were hearing shots. They didn't think that a whole family was being massacred because who the fuck would, like, you have to be some kind of messed up if that's the first thought that comes to your head. Anyway, Arthur had been out of the house because he had errands to run. As far as Arthur knew, he and his father were going to be rabbit hunting on Christmas Day. So he needed to go to town to get ammunition. And that is when this tragedy occurred while he was out getting ammunition for rabbit hunting with his father. Anyway, Arthur raised the alarm to the police and they showed up to the house. Police looked around and they went to the woods because they were looking for Charlie. He was the only one that wasn't there. The rest of the family was killed. So they were looking for Charlie and law enforcement heard the shot that Charlie used to take his life. They heard it and they rushed to where they heard the sound of the shot coming from. They found Charlie's body near a tree in the woods, and investigators noticed that there were footprints that were circling around the tree, making them believe that he was walking around in circles since after the killing until he shot himself. They also found two letters that were addressed to his parents. From what I could find, these notes were unfinished, and they said, nobody to blame but, and then the other note said, troubles can cause. The family, in a tragic twist of fate, was buried in the new outfits that they had just bought for the portraits. It's even said that Mary Lou was buried in Fanny's arms. And after the murders, Marion ended up opening their house to people who paid an admission fee. And there were songs that were written about this massacre, which is some kind of fucked up, dude. Like, that's pretty morbid even for me. But this horrible familicide on Christmas became somewhat of a legend, especially in North Carolina. Everyone knew about it. And this isn't a time before social media. This was an awful, horrific crime. And it was the type of crime that is rife with speculation and rumors, especially talks around town and stuff like that. It seems like everyone had a theory or an idea of what happened because Charlie killed himself. We'll never really know why he did this and what happened and why Arthur was kept alive. But everyone has their own theory or their own idea as to why. Let's start with four of the more unlikely theory. These explore a bunch of different things. Some of them that state Charlie didn't even kill his family. So one speculation is that Charlie witnessed an organized crime and they found out that he knew what they did and so Charlie and his family were taken out so that he couldn't speak. Also, there was a theory that a man, I mean, articles say black man, but fucking man, not black man, just a fucking man, Charlie had fought with him and they thought that maybe this man came back and he committed the crime. Also, there is a theory that well, it's not a theory. Charlie Lawson did sustain a head injury a couple months before the murders. He had sustained this head injury 
when he was digging a ditch. People thought that maybe this was the reason that he committed these heinous, heinous, atrocious acts. But Charlie's brain was sent to Johns Hopkins, which shout out to that freaking place because the NICU saved my youngest cousin's life. And one of my good friends who I studied abroad in Ireland with went to Johns Hopkins. So shout out to them. They're pretty awesome. Anyway, after looking at the brain, Hopkins found that there was nothing visibly wrong. They just noticed it was a little underdeveloped. And then out of the four unlikely theories, the last one is that the reason could have been financial. If you think about the times, this family was by no means well off and they were only tobacco sharecroppers. It was 1929. This was the start of the Great Depression. There was a thought that he could have done this because he had nothing left. He didn't have enough money to feed his family. He didn't have enough money to keep a roof over their heads. I mean, this was a hard time. It was the Great Depression. He had taken all of his money out of his bank account very shortly before this murder occurred. The total amount of money that Charlie Lawson had was $60, and it was in his pocket at the time of death. Think about that. He emptied his whole bank account, and it was $60. He had a wife and eight kids. That's in any time that is not enough money to take care of them. The money ended up actually going towards the funeral costs for the whole family. Of these, investigators did not believe these were plausible because the evidence did not fit either of these, did not fit any of these theories or this situation. It clearly looked like a familicide or a murder-suicide. In the 1990s, a book called White Christmas Bloody Christmas was released. This book was one of the first places where people heard the rumors that the killings were committed because of incest. The day before the book came out, Stella Lawson, who was the cousin of the Lawson kids, said how she overheard the grown-ups talking at the funeral, including her mom, about how Fanny confided in them that she was worried about the relationship between Charlie and Marie. She was worried something was going on, and she confided this to these women not too long before the murders occurred. Also, in a book called The Meaning of Our Tears, Marie's best friend, Ella May, came forward. Ella May stated that she was having a sleepover with Marie, and Marie told her that she was pregnant with her father, Charlie's baby. Ella May also said that Marie told her both her parents knew about this pregnancy. Another neighbor named Sam Hill He at first said he didn't want to come forward, but he knew why the murders happened. He didn't want to speak about it. It wasn't his business. But you know, loose lips sink ships or gives insight into the reason behind murders. I don't know. But he eventually came out and said that Charlie had forced himself on Marie and threatened Marie if she told her mom. And from what Ella May said, Marie had told her mom because Marie told her friend that both her parents knew. That's one of the, I mean, that one still lives on today. That theory still lives on that she was pregnant with her father's baby and he killed the whole family to cover this up. There is another person that came forward named Deborah Hampton Michael. She eventually spoke out to 
the books that were about this murder and her connection to the family. Deborah's great uncle, Charlie Wade, was dating Murray at the time, and Fanny was good friends with Deborah's grandmother. So much so that December 24th, 1929, Fanny and her grandmother were cooking for the Christmas dinners the next day. Deborah spoke about some of the things that the books got wrong, and she got this based off of her grandmother's stories. It is widely believed that Marie made the cake that visitors kept taking the raisins off of, but Deborah said this isn't true. She says that Fanny made the cake the day before with her grandmother when they were cooking on December 24th, not that Marie made it on Christmas morning. Also, it was said that the cake was placed in glass after people started stealing the raisins off of it to basically just keep it safe from the public and make it harder for people to take stuff from the cake. But Deborah said that this also isn't true because Fanny placed it in this glass after she made it. She placed it in it to bring it home and so that it would be kept good until the next day. She also remembers asking her grandmother if in any way Charlie Wade could have been the father of Marie's baby. I mean, it's logical. The name of her father, Charlie. Her boyfriend, Charlie, it's reasonable to question, could Ella May have meant the boyfriend, not the dad, but in a whisper down the lane kind of fashion, it turned into it was the father's. I mean, it's a huge mistake to make, but people make mistakes like that all the time. And it's the same name. So maybe Ella, Ella May just assumed that she meant her father, Charlie, even if it wasn't, which you know what happens when you assume. But Deborah's grandmother came out and vehemently denied this to Deborah, saying there was no possibility that it was Charlie Wade's baby and that everyone knew the baby was her father's. So she found that some things in the book were wrong based off of her conversations with her grandmother. I don't know. I feel as though there are many possibilities. Could it have been the boyfriend? I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I don't know, and I don't think anyone will ever know, but I feel like there would be no need to kill the whole family if Marie got pregnant from her boyfriend. I mean, they probably would have just, I mean, as awful as this is, and I may say this lightly, but it's not great, but at that time, they probably just would have forced Charlie Wade and Marie into a marriage, a shotgun marriage because she was pregnant so that the families wouldn't be quote unquote embarrassed. So I can't just, I can't bring my mind back to it being her boyfriend, Charlie Wade got her pregnant. Now I'd like to speak a little bit about the portrait that Charlie commissioned shortly before the deaths, because in this, you see the whole family in the photo. And one thing you can notice is that Marie is looking sad and troubled and her eyes are staring right into the camera or the portrait, whatever. In my opinion, it almost looks as though her eyes are pleading for help. It's really eerie. This, this picture kind of creeps me out. But on the other hand, you see Charlie right next to her and he is looking off camera and has a smirk on his face. It's really, like I said, eerie. The small little smile that Charlie has on his face and people that knew the family said that Marie's dress was was tight and to them it looked like there could have been a baby bump forming which is another reason why the 
Marie was pregnant with her father's baby kind of took off because people were like, yeah, it looks a little, looks a little tight. Could be a baby bump forming. But honestly, in my opinion, I think that sadly the incest theory is probably the most likely. We'll never really know, but in a horrible way, I think it makes somewhat sense. I mean, a neighbor came forward and said that he threatened Marie if she told her mom and the mom, according to her friend, knew about the pregnancy. And it's sad, but it happens just like one of my favorite podcasts, Red Handed. Oh, those girls' accents. I love listening to them. They're amazing. But <laughs> they they just did three episodes on a man that kept his daughter prisoner and got her pregnant. I, I mean, I lost count after that three episode series. It was like four or six times. Sadly, it happened. And I feel like that explains and sort of in a twisted way way and in his mind would make sense as to why he needed to kill the whole family. Also, usually the most logical explanation is the answer. But this is just my idea. I I don't know because we will never know. It just it's it happened so long ago and the one person that could give us the reasoning behind it killed himself the same day. So investigators were never able to talk to him. But I think because Marie and Fanny both confided in people, it's probably what happened. Her family would probably not want to admit or talk in whispers about how it was Marie was having Charlie's baby because that'd be embarrassing. That wouldn't be like the first thought that came to their mind back then, I don't think. And I just don't see why Marie would lie to her friend or why her friend would lie about something as horrible as a father molesting his daughter and getting her pregnant. So I just, I think that's, that makes sense. But there's a part of me that also thinks of the financial aspect and is like, maybe is it a little bit of both? Maybe he did get his daughter pregnant. He can barely afford the family he has now. Now they'd be having another baby when he just had a four month old baby. And I mean, that's a lot of people to take care of. And it was the great depression. I'm saying this, but no matter what, dude's a fucking dickwad and is awful. I just, I don't know, because the start of the Great Depression, that could also make sense too. So I just think we'll never really know. I think the main reason though is because he got Marie pregnant and his wife found out she was telling people, he could have even overheard her telling people like just been around the corner in the house or something. I don't, I don't know, but... He could have just felt like there was no way out of that and that everyone knew. Again, I don't know. But now back to right after the crime. As I told you before, Charlie's brother Marion opened the house to anyone willing to pay admission. You could see everything when you bought that admission ticket from the, the rooms, the cake that was made on Christmas Day. And at first I thought that's pretty fucked up. You're basically getting money based off a horrible, horrible murder-suicide that happened to your family. And I was kind of like, that's messed up, man. But then I was thinking about it, and a thought that came to my mind is, it's. I saw in my research that Marion was trying to help Arthur keep his family's home. Sadly, this failed, but maybe Marion was doing this admission so that 
Arthur would be able to keep the land that his family lived on. I mean, personally for me, I wouldn't want to stay on the land that my whole family was married, but Arthur probably didn't have a lot of money too and didn't have anywhere to go and he needed this. So maybe Marion was doing this admission so that he could help Arthur keep the house. This lost and didn't, and it failed in the end, which is awful. And Arthur lost the house, even with Marion's monetary assistance and this admission, it just wasn't enough. And eventually the house was sold. But maybe Marion was doing this in attempts to help Arthur keep the house and a roof over his head. Also, there are many theories as to why Charlie decided to keep Arthur alive. Some of the theories are that Arthur is the only one in the family that could have stopped Charlie because he was bigger than him, taller than him, stronger than him. He was he was like a young man who could have and would have, from all accounts, done what he could to to stop his father. So that is one theory. But the other theory is that Charlie wanted to keep his family line going. This could explain why the portrait was commissioned and keeping Arthur alive because Arthur was almost a man. He was he was 16 years old and he could have kept Charlie's bloodline going. I say, who says it can't be a little of both? What can't be denied is how this whole incident affected Arthur. He was never the same. He did end up getting married and having four children, but he had a problem with drinking and he ended up dying really young at the age of 31 or 32 in a vehicle accident, which is just awful. So that's this bummer of an episode, y'all. Sorry to bring it down, but uh, happy holidays, question mark. Now for the Fred is over. So this one's going to be pretty short, guys. Recently, a man named David Orenchik has been believed to have solved the 340 cipher of the Zodiac Killer. And if you guys are true crime fans like me, you probably already fucking know this. But for the people that don't have like a Google alert for any true crime being solved, (laughs) the FBI also confirms that they believe this cipher has been cracked and that David Orenchik did it. The cipher reads, I hope you are having lots of fun in trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise. All the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life is life will be an easy one in paradise death. And that's what it reads, which is so fucked up. Also, Zodiac Killer, fuck you. You told us that in these ciphers, it was going to like lead us to you. That's just ramblings. Anyway, hopefully this means that we're one step closer to figuring out who the Zodiac Killer is. I mean, anything is possible. They caught the original Night Stalker, Easteria Rapist, and a bunch of other people due to like DNA and other new methods of technology coming forth. So hopefully this means that this cipher can maybe be used to 
crack all of the other codes. And in that, we can find out who this person is, who this dickwad is, who the Zodiac killer is. In this cipher, one thing that stuck out to me is how paradise is spelled. It is spelled P-A-R-A-D-I-C-E. I doubt it means anything, but it is spelled wrong. I'm probably looking too much into it, but you know, maybe, maybe there is something behind why it's spelled wrong. Who knows? All I can say is hopefully whether the Zodiac Killer is still alive or dead, we can solve the mystery of who the person was that terrorized the Bay Area. And that is the fight is over. Well, hopefully it's over. I hope they catch the Zodiac Killer. But Thank you again, everyone, for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. I love you guys, and keep your ear holes open for another episode coming out this week. Also, please, please follow me on social media. I would love to talk to you. You are amazing, so if you want to reach out to me, DM me, follow me on social media. My social media is Fight or Fright Pod on Instagram and Facebook. It is Fight Fright Pod on Twitter, and you can email me at fightorfrightpod at gmail.com. Also, keep a lookout because I just got a TikTok, Fight or Fright Podcast, and your girl's just kind of obsessed with it, so follow me there too. Anyway, that is this episode of Fight or Fright, and remember guys, don't fight this fright, y'all. Bye for now. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at Fight or Fright Pod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it, and it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland, and I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright.